Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, November 7th, 2021. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderveld. Hi there, I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Beautiful November, sunny, Perfect. warm day. Mm-hmm. It's, this, a, it's a gorgeous fall day. This weekend, what are we doing? 64, baby. What are we doing right now? Why are we in here? Why are we doing this? Why didn't we all just (laughs) just take the day off? Yeah, I was just thinking of some friends. I'm sure golfing today, getting it in a few more times before the. Hey, did uh, I saw all of you guys at the uh, town hall meeting last night? What'd y'all think, Simone? I'm particularly interested in what you thought. Mm -hmm. You're a new member. Mm -hmm. That'd be your first, I think, Glenn Bible Mm -hmm. Church gathering yeah. so to speak yeah what'd you think it was great i was really encouraged you guys did a great job um i told john last night that um i did read the email ahead of time and so a part of me was like these I've, i know the answers to these questions <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah i i walked away though with a question Fire away. Really? Let's right now? Yeah. yeah Just not? jump into it. If we don't like it, we'll edit it out. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. So I think I, Anthony wasn't able to come. So I was the helping representative. representative. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I feel really clear on the why that um, you've been praying about it for 10 years in your position for a, a number of reasons that you listed that this is um, the next step. I felt like I heard this is a step of faith mm-hmm. um, in God's leading. And so you don't have all the answers yet, but you're walking out, you're taking that first step of faith. So inspiring, so encouraging. The part I was confused about is, um, are you looking for a place, a demographic? Cause you mentioned a couple of, like you mentioned Butterfield Road, for example. Um, and you're then going to find a location and then find someone who can lead that location. But then you're hiring someone now, or you're looking to hire someone now. And what if that person doesn't represent the place that you are finding? So I just was a little bit confused, which is first, yeah. the location or the person or how you're going to marry those two together. That's it's- a great question. Yeah. So let me... it. It is a vision that grows out of compelling why. So I just want to affirm that. You heard correctly. Uh, we're not seeing the number of adult conversions at Glowing Bible Church that we want to mm-hmm. see. Uh, frankly, 80-year-old churches often lapse into a, a mission fog where they lose their way and it becomes about maintaining rather than reaching out. And we'll be 80 years old in 2023, praise awesome. the Lord. And we don't want to lapse into a mission fog. We want to go as we've been sent by Christ, ambassadors of Christ, we want to see more adults come to faith in Jesus. So that's the why. Discipleship, following Jesus, means that we're going out. So it's a really important part of growing disciples is going and being sent. So you're right on the why. Uh, the, the target area is we put on the screen a number of areas where we could imagine putting a campus. Uh, so we have researched traveled to, spoken with other like-minded church leaders in some key areas in our county where we believe a church could be needed, another church could be needed. But at the same time, we're not yet ready to say, 
we're going to any one particular area. So we actually want to hire a campus pastor first and see who the Lord, this is kind of the unknown for us and we're waiting on the Lord's leading here. Um, so we want to hire a campus pastor, see who the Lord brings us, and then work with that campus pastor to identify a, a spot. And, and, you know, when someone lands here, uh, we'll, we'll begin working with that person saying, we believe these are some locations. What do you think about these? And go through a discernment process with that. But does that make sense? It does. So when you, you talked to, I love the question that someone asked, how is this... Um, how are you embracing the vision and the and the goal to be a more ethnic diverse church? So if you are considering hiring somebody, a person of color, as you said, um, and let's say you hire a, a, a black man, a black pastor, it, would you then assume that that person is going to be looking for a community that their, um, their, their leadership and their expertise are going to have influence over? Because I do think if we hire a person of color, that mm-hmm. their culture... Mm-hmm and their calling to their culture mm-hmm. would impact where we land with the second campus. Yeah. But I don't think, interesting, interestingly enough, it's as straightforward as if we hire an African-American mm-hmm. that we would go to a predominantly uh, African-American community. I, I don't know that, that those are necessarily necessary corollaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, and we have had several applications um, of from people of color and mm-hmm. and, and diverse, uh, uh, you know, a, a wide spectrum of people mm-hmm. of color. So that's a, a lot of fun, and um, and we'll see what the Lord does. Yeah, that's so helpful. That was the one thing I felt a little bit confused on was: Are you trying to take a square peg and yeah. put it into a round hole, or is there a little bit more of a method that you're looking at? So that that helps. That's good. It's. I mean, it sounds to me just like listening to that conversation and last night that it's kind of a, let's kind of see what the Lord does. It but is. we feel like the first step is bringing somebody in. Yeah. Because you, you guys can't spend all your time looking for a campus when, to, and a lot of people expressed that concern last night. Like, yeah, let's not do this yeah. to the detriment of what we have that's good here, but yeah. let's not also just hoard what right. good we have here, right? That's good. Yep. But like, you can't spend all of your time. If we do that, then we are going to, Mm-hmm. We are going to suffer here. I suffer in quotes, but mm-hmm. you know. And what I mean? think our our model of of um, ministry is really uh, people driven. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Not that it's focused on us as pastors or leaders. It's highly but, relational. But yeah, that's a, it's so. The right person is, I think, most important to us. Uh, we want good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we want to go to a, co- a community. Yeah. I talked last night about being a residential ministry yeah. versus a regional ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think that we will most likely land in another residential setting. So mm-hmm. it, would it be safe to say that this person you'll hire m- might have a burden on their heart mm-hmm. of a community or a place already that mm-hmm. they're saying, this yeah. is what I feel like maybe God's prepared me to do. Or exper- that would be yeah, experience, awesome. in, experience in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a multi-ethnic mm-hmm. church. In that type of you know mm-hmm. environment, like yeah, mm-hmm. totally burdened for that, called yeah. to that, called to a, p- perhaps a specific, even part of our yeah. our county. So we are getting people that are interested that are you know not far away. So it's exciting for me. The, the most the the thing that gets me the most charged is when you talk about an area that doesn't have a church. Yeah, that's totally. what That's what is most compelling for my heartstrings, mm-hmm. where it's yeah. like, man, there's a section of DuPage from this street to this street, yep. which spans three or four miles. There's not one gospel preaching church in that area. Yeah. And there's like 
15,000 people that live there or whatever it is. Right. It's like, man, that's, that's a miss, right? Because mm-hmm. it feels so, like in our bubble, yeah. where we are, it feels like, like when you we were just talking rock, about- You a like yeah. church. Well, right, right. But when you talk about adult conversions, it, as our church grows, it, it feels- it, our church is growing, but we're not seeing adult conversions. Yep. It, we're sort of swapping, Sheen. right? Yeah. Like, right, which is you know, it's fine, but not ideal. Yeah, right. One of the one of the projects I had. So, my, you know, when your kids are home for the summer and they get bored and drive you crazy, one of the projects I had one of my uh, daughters do was uh, we were there were some areas we were looking at in uh, in the community, and and so I printed off the aerial like the Google map of a, of a certain area. And I said, all right, Annika, I want you to count all the houses in this area. And then we looked up, there's an apartment complex near there. And we looked up the apartment complex, how many residents were. And we came up with, she was just helping to say, helping me identify an area that had no evangelical church and how many people lived in that area and then how far they would need to go mm. to get to mm-hmm. Uh, a, a like-minded church, you know, and it's really fascinating when you start uh, thinking about areas and communities and the churches there and getting to know our, our county. And I mean, you stumble into some areas, you're like, there are thousands of people that live in these townhomes, duplexes, single family homes, and there is no church. They're driving yep. somewhere mm. potentially far to get, we think. Suburban far. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> five miles sometimes can take fifteen minutes, right? Yeah. Twenty minutes yeah. uh, when you when you factor in Roosevelt roads and traffic and yeah. all that. The stuff. train, so, the train, yeah. right? Well, and let's be honest. There's dividing lines, even though things can be close together uh, uh, ge- geographically. Mm-hmm. That some people just you don't ever go into. Like yep. Some people don't cross Roosevelt Road. They don't go to Donata, right. And they, right. the people right on the other side of Roosevelt Road are very similar to them, but they go to different schools and they play in different park district and they do. And it's like, no, I always go south mm-hmm. to get my groceries and do my shopping and do the school. And South, people, of, south of Roosevelt? Yeah. And There's the, stuff down there? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. So anyway, we yeah. could talk about this forever, but yeah. we got a lot of good questions today. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah, we do have a lot of questions. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into some. First one, a little, a little heavy, but we'll get right into it. One of the primary areas we hear about God's wrath towards sin in our modern culture is related to LGBTQ issues, people protesting about gay marriage, etc. There are people that are affirming homosexuality, living that lifestyle, and saying it is not sinful. Are they clinging to sin, refusing to repent, and under God's wrath? So I want to tread lightly here. Uh, and I want to come off with a posture of patience without being permissive. So the first thing I want to say is, man, I, I don't know anybody's heart. So when, when someone says, are they clinging to sin? I don't know if they're clinging to sin. Um, in other words, there, there could be something going on in their heart and in their mind, and ultimately only God knows. Um, At the same time, I think we can definitively say that a lifestyle of homosexual behavior is outside God's plan, contrary to his design, sinful, one of many behaviors that if we continue in that behavior, we should not expect that we'd inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11 spells that out fairly clearly, and I thought I would read it. 
Uh, Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so we need to say, we can say very clearly that... Um, that that behavior is outside of, of God's design. There's another list in Romans chapter 1. It's a, a fairly, um, people are fairly familiar with it that are well-versed in, in the discussion about homosexuality. Um, it's often referred to as what is described as a clobber text where um, conservative Christians clobber <laughs> those who are, LGBTQ affirming with scripture. So picture in your mind's eye a Bible banger, if you're familiar with those, where uh, people feel beat up with the word of God rather than, rather than loved um, in the ministry of God's word. But Paul in Romans 1 gives a, a laundry list again of behaviors that um, saying that those who practice such things, he says, deserve to die. It's Romans 1 verse uh, 32. Um, and then he goes on, they don't only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And the, and the list includes things like envy, murder, strife, deceit, uh, gossip, slander, uh, the haughty, meaning the proud, the boastful, uh, those who are disobedient to their parents. But it also includes uh, those that uh, behave in uh, homosexual ways. So I think we can say without a doubt, those who continue in those practices um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, I, I'm probably, I, I might be overthinking um, the, the question asker uh, who they're lumping into. Um, there are people that, um, but it, when I read it, I, th I think of two types of people where that, they're, that this question answer is saying there are people that, there are people that are just like, I can't imagine a God that would condemn all those people. Love is love, you know. They're, they're basically, they're, they're not rooted in anything, Christian, biblical, whatever. That's like one lump of people. But then there's another lump of people who are Christians and who would push back on the verses that you, mm -hmm. um, that you cited, saying like you're interpreting it wrong. Mm -hmm. They're Christians, they love God, but um, they are affirming for homosexual lifestyle. Yeah. Um, how, how do they, uh, so I don't know if this question asker is talking about, you know, people group one or people group two, I'm not sure. Um, but how do you respond, uh, you know, to, to the second group? Those that are LGBTQ Those affirming. Those that, that are Christian affirming, first of all, right? Like they believe Jesus is savior. They, you know, um, and then, but they, and then they read and interpret those texts a different way. Um, because this question actually could be asking about those, those folks as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, any number of, um, and let me, can I, let me clarify. Are, are they clinging to sin? Like, yeah, if, I think that's the, the, the key phrase in here. Cause that's right, what I use in right. my sermon. That's what you use in right. your sermon. And I think, I mean, we have another question a little while down about, the similar, it's not on the LGBTQ thing, but it's the, so what is clinging to sin? And then right. Kelly, you talked about having patience. 
And so it seems to me that the, the question is more about the, uh, an endorsement. So whether you're non-Christian or Christian, but you're saying things like, this is okay, I'm affirming it, I'm living that lifestyle, and I'm saying it's not sinful. So at one level, the two groups are the same, right? Like, right, right. But there's this other piece that's saying that there's a, you know, I'm, a, I'm following Jesus and his teachings, and I'm fully affirming. Right, that's and a, you could say, you could use this with any, anything. It doesn't have to be homosexuality. Totally. It could be anything where you have two different views of theology. Right. Where one would say that's sinful, one would say, no, it's not. Right. You know, like, and so how do you... How do you talk about clinging to sin if you actually don't think it's sinful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's, the, that's more the question. Like, how do you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, so um, I'm getting lost in it a little bit, a little bit muddled in, in the question. <laughs> so there is an ongoing debate within the Christian community, those who claim to be following Christ, about how to handle these texts that uh, condemn homosexual behavior. And that for the last uh, 1900 years, 1950 years, <laughs> um, were, were, were not questioned. One, one way. Yeah, they were not questioned. Uh, so it's, it's very recent that homosexual behavior was pulled out of these lists, these Pauline lists, and, and said, well, the way we would describe homosexuality is not what Paul has in mind. Mm-hmm. And so if you're well-read, and I'm fairly well-read on this topic, um, there are basically two sides to the argument. There's side A, very simply to be understood. The side A are those who are affirming of LGBTQ behavior. And then there's side B, which holds to the, the traditional Christian historic ethic. And so what they're doing in the side A world with these texts, they're saying things like, Paul had in mind uh, relationships that are clearly anathema, pedophilia, which would be older men with younger boys, which was very common in the first century Roman world, senatorial relationships. Um, So I think the word is pederasty. I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, where it, it's a, it's an older relationship to a younger relationship, um, and so they would say that Paul has in mind here something that we consider and should be considered as anathema. Uh, that's what he's actually condemning, and and then side B, those who have the historic traditional. A Christian ethic would say, no, if Paul were actually condemning pederasty, pedophilia, there were Greek words to be used in the New Testament that are Greek words in the, in the language that could be used to, to describe that behavior. And so there's a, there's a disagreement over the, the breadth of the meaning or the particular selection of Greek words uh, going on. But... Um, so that's how they're, they're handling the texts differently. And so there's a, there's a, a large movement in, in the Christian world, those claiming to follow Christ, that would say that Paul would affirm uh, homosexual, lifelong monogamy, uh, a man with another man in a commitment of marriage so that they're, they're faithful to one another, 
that Paul would not have condemned that. And, uh, and I would go back to Jesus's teaching on marriage. So it's Matthew chapter 19. And, he, and when asked about divorce, he's very clear that in the garden, the relationship that was architected, designed by God, was a man and a woman for life. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of debate going on here. Um, and uh, I, I think that Given another 10 years, I think this will settle out. And I think that oh, we interesting. will, I think we will see, if you're familiar with biblical studies, uh, I think we're in an interesting season on this topic. Uh, there's a, a phrase used among interpreters called the hermeneutical spiral. Mm-hmm. Picture in your mind's eye, a funnel. And uh, as a funnel, as, as fluids go into a funnel, uh, they narrow and then they, they pour out at the bottom. And I think we have right now in the broader Christian community a, a, a work in which the, the debate is swirling around, as it were, in a funnel. And I think it will narrow and there'll be clarity in the next decade on an agreement um, uh, and an aligning uh, of how the, uh, the text is, is best handled. Uh, I think that... I think we'll see this. You're not saying an agreement, but you'll, you're saying... On how the text should be handled rightly. Mm. Yeah. But yeah I, I think there'll be... Right now, there's, there seems to be a lot of waffling and exchanging. <laughs> so go ahead and press me. No. Because I, I don't want to have to make a... Uh, you're not <laughs> saying that there won't be side A and side B in I'm 10 years. I'm not saying that. I'm not there saying that. There still will be side A and side B, there'll but be side, a, side A will be yeah. more more uh, confirming what they believe yeah side b will be more confirming what they believe yeah i think there'll be clarity on the divide yeah i, and think, I didn't mean to sidetrack the question yeah you did the nature of the question but i'm trying to figure out um the clinging to sin as it relates to one viewing something as sin or not viewing something as sin we could take the topic of divorce and remarriage right like there's conservative theologians who think both who yeah. different who think differently so for the one who's, they can't both be right. So for the one who's wrong, yeah. how do you frame, how do you talk about the conversation of, well, that person yeah. is clinging to sin when they clearly believe like, no, I'm, I'm interpreting it's important this right. To, it's, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's important. Just because you don't believe it's sin doesn't mean it's not sin. And that's so true. I, so yes. I think that's not what you're saying, but right. I just want to make sure we don't yeah. get down that. So, you know, sin is sin. Um, if you're clinging to it, justifying it, believing it, trying to make it not sin, I think you're in a dangerous position. I think that's what you yes, you introed with. Yeah. If you are if you are living a sinful lifestyle, no matter what it is, the presenting issue here is homosexuality. You're endorsing it. You're trying to justify it. You're not you're not believing it's sinful, and yet it is sin in God's eyes. You you stand in jeopardy of not inheriting the kingdom of God. That's the clearest takeaway i think you're you're making here kelly yeah. right you mean you yes. started it and yeah. i would agree with you on that yeah where we need to be careful is making blanket statements right about individuals the, the state of someone's individual yeah. heart mind eternal destiny yeah correct and so saying things like we condemn all those who are homosexual to hell is a dangerous statement because you you have to do some um, 
some nuancing in that. And sexual sin is particularly unique. It's identified in 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 these lists. It's 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 pulled out, right? It's it's it has unique consequences. Um, and so, well, um, and according we, we to this to be, list, like nobody's getting it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless someone yeah, out there isn't greedy. Point. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like exactly. At the same time, uh, we need to admit that. The homosexual behavior in our day and age, it is the behavior du jour in de, that's being debated. Yep. No one is arguing that gossip is okay. Right. And right, no right. one is arguing that murder is okay. And no one's arguing right. that stealing. So the other sins in the other sins in these lists, no one is plucked them out and saying, hey, we really, right. we need to be more affirming of gossips. Which was my right. point. If there's a uniqueness yes. to this there's type of There's a cultural experience. uniqueness, and there is a biblical uniqueness to right. sexual sin. So something that I think has given me a bit of compassion for this particular conversation, um, as well as some clarity as to why it's so complicated, mm. is that the people that I'm friends with who are gay don't look at this as a behavior. It's, it's identity. It's an identity. Yep. And that does give some clarity, again, around how someone can be a believer, be a Christian, and identify as mm-hmm. a gay person mm-hmm. um, because they're not looking at it as, uh, as, a, as a, a sin like gossip. They're not mm-hmm. saying, I'm struggling with this. this is, they're saying, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And for me, that, that helps, like I said, give me compassion to the issue as opposed to making it so black and white that it's... Um, it can come off as Christians are saying that mm-hmm. all gay people are going to hell because mm-hmm. I don't think that's a biblical point of like, a, right. that's not, that's not what we're saying here in this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you address this too a little bit here in your notes is that um, there is a difference between struggling with same sex attraction and finding your identity in that versus there are people who look, have behaviors that are sinful and homosexuality can be, it's clearly in the list. So it's, it is something that people can struggle with. So I think what I'm trying to say is that it's, the, Christians can can do a lot of harm to people. You think who are identifying in this in this group, and yeah. and the other thing that makes me even more nervous about this conversation and getting it wrong is because there is so much access to I might be gay or I might have uh, an interest in the same sex. I'm thinking of our, you know, our kids, the generation mm. that we're raising. How accessible it is to find something or someone or a TikTok mm-hmm. or a Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever it is that affirms them and says, this is who you are. This is your identity. Now go live out, go live mm-hmm. your truth. Yeah. And so balancing that with biblical truth is, is our job as parents in the church or whatever. But um, I just, I think there's, it's just a, it feels like a very sensitive subject to where there are kids in our congregation that are here on Sundays who are struggling with this. Right. And so, to approach the conversation with compassion and Mm -hmm. thoughtfulness, Mm -hmm. which we are, I feel like we're doing this conversation. This is not a, I'm just, I just don't want to get it wrong Mm -hmm. in terms of how we inspire people and teach people to consider what the Bible says about this behavior. But it's, it's for some people, it's much deeper than a behavior. Mm -hmm. It's, it's who they are. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? (laughs) I, I was actually thinking the, the, before we, we you even brought it up is the idea of clinging and identity mm-hmm. are prob- could could be potentially closely linked, mm. right? Like you've made your identity 
something that is different mm-hmm. or something that is um, contrary to God's, God's call, mm-hmm. God's design. Um, you aren't repenting from it. You're making it <laughs> your identity. And an, it could be a number of those things. Yeah, I, sexuality and homosexuality tends to be mm-hmm. one that we, we see that mo- the most, most often, but there could be other things as well. But. I, I think it's very... Uh, dangerous to ever make our identity about anything we desire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, and we need to be humble enough to realize that side A uh, Christians, those who are affirming LGBTQ lifestyles, they're they're very bright, they're well read, and they are they are entering into this identity discussion. They're saying, no, my identity is in Christ, and uh, I was born gay. Mm-hmm. And so I do think we need to, we need to applaud uh, the, the affirming community who, who are nuanced enough to say, no, I realize my identity is in Christ and I'm trusting in Christ alone. Um, but then we need to, and here comes the point of departure. The point of departure for me is that I, I want to distinguish between homosexual behavior and homosexual desire. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, I don't think there's sin in temptation. Um, so to say I have homosexual desire uh, is much different than to say I've, I'm behaving or practicing homosexual acts. Because um, I have a lot of sinful desires in my life. I'm talking very personally here. That, like what? That I never <laughs> act on. And then I have sinful desires that I do act on and that I need to... Uh, repent of, forsake, not cling to, and that's an ongoing daily issue. So the church has a historic discussion about besetting sin. Maybe you've you've heard of that before. The besetting sin is that sin that gives you, you have a particular proclivity to, no one had to teach you about it, Mm -hmm. you feel easily drawn into it. I have my own besetting sins. I know uh, uh, the four of us well enough to know uh, we all have our besetting sins. And so I, I, I realize that herein is the point of departure. I would say that if, if, you, if you're saying you were born gay, I don't have a problem with that after reading Ephesians chapter 2, that we were born sinners. Um, I, I have sin in my life. No one had to teach me how to embrace. I'm drawn to it from birth. Um, but there's, I say no to them as best I can every day, and I'm not clinging to them. And so, you know, I'm, we have, yes, not only do we have children who are wrestling with homosexual desire and what to do with it, how to respond to their desires, we have adults that identify as LGBTQ, and, and praise God for that. Um, and they're doing their best to abstain from those desires. And I really think that's the call mm-hmm. on, on the, the Christian life. So yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, let's go to the next one. Oh, it, well, let me. One other yeah. thing. <laughs> let me jump in. Sorry, I'm reading my notes here, and I just I want us to be as a church super patient, super patient, realizing that this is this is the front. It is a front burner issue in our culture, and I'm reminded of Jesus's words: "A bruised reed he will not break." Mm. So we have congregants whom we're called to bear their burdens, mm-hmm. 
Uh, cry with those crying. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We're called to bear their bur- burdens. And they're wrestling, genuinely wrestling with what to do here. I, I'm, I meet with them all the time. They're not thumbing their nose at the church, at Christ. They're not thumbing their nose at the gospel. They're trying to sort through what to do with these longings they have. And they're meeting with a culture that says, it's okay. We love you. Live it out. This is who you are. This is who you are. It could be interpreted as way more accepting. How difficult is that? Mm -hmm. How difficult is that? Mm -hmm. And so we need to be a people that are are realizing how hard it is to say no to a sin. If I had a, a world or a church, I mean, they can find people worshiping every Sunday Imagine if if there was a church out there saying, you know, whatever your besetting sin is, so I that were green lighting your besetting sin. How much more difficult would that be to sort through your besetting sin and how to handle it? It's a good word. Am I making sense here? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, much more articulate than what I was trying to say. Is that there? No, I'm. I mean, there's really like there's so much accessibility to finding someone to affirm what you're believing that on this topic, on this topic, it's scary. Honestly, like I, you know, um, so that's a good word. That's great. Well, there's been so much harm and damage done around this issue. Mm -hmm. All, all, I mean, in so many different ways. And so it's, it's so difficult to, to come in fresh to this kind of conversation. It's like, no, I've already been hurt here and I've heard this here and I, I know what happened here. And, it, you know, it's, it's just so, so yeah. difficult. And our, you know, our kids are dealing with it at a level that we didn't deal with. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the you rate know, of change our, culturally is, it makes me dizzy, yes. the rate of change. And there's, I mean, there's nuances to, to homosexuality, gender identity, you know, all uh, gender stuff and all like, I feel like every day I'm learning new things on this issue Mm -hmm. and the terms on the, that are involved. And, and, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about a, a, um, a child and they were, this child had gone through an experience and they were, um, now this child identifies as they, them. Mm. And I'm listening to the podcast and I kept getting confused because I, couldn't keep up with I the pronouns. Couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the, the, wait, are we talking about a group? Oh no, that's the individual. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Right. I'm not trying to make a statement about it. I'm just, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. It was not a Christian podcast. It was a secular podcast, but there's just a lot of issues and people who are steeped in this and, and working hard at understanding and applying and changing things. It's like, how do you keep up? Well, yeah. And toward that, let me suggest a resource that is, it's easy to find. Uh, It's called the gender bread person. Y'all remember the gender, Ginger ginger bread man from childhood fables. All right. So just Google the gender bread person. And what will pop up is a little cutesy gingerbread likeness and it takes you through some of the different aspects of this discussion so identity and it just it walks you through with this little stick figure what is what's the difference being discussed what are we saying when we say identity what are we saying when we say attraction what are we saying when we say expression behavior Hmm. what are we saying when we say sexuality and so there (laughs) is a lot (laughs) It used to be so simple. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and how do you, how do you feel? The world we grew up in was much, 
more right. straightforward. Well, and, and, it, and so that's what, when I say a bruised reed, Christ will mm-hmm. not break. The burden mm-hmm. on our youth mm-hmm. to sort through who they are is so much more complex. And how they have to treat and One interact another. with those that yes. and and learn Are processing through it so yeah. that because you're not caring and loving and friends anymore if you don't say it all and understand it all well, completely yeah. right and I, I wanted mean, to throw this question out there for you all like how, um, we're talking about something that we're pinpointing as sinful lifestyle right the behavior is sinful right so out of that culture comes a lot of these things we're talking about right now right um, re defining words yes uh, right you know yeah. out of that culture that we're you know so uh what is our responsibility as christians to understand all of those terms accept them use them integrate them yeah like like where is wrong and right where does it begin and end where i just go okay all right i i want to um i want to love you i want to know you i want to share the gospel with you so i will learn your language yeah. In the same way I would going to another land or whatever. Or is it, man, man this a, is all coming out of this sinful mm-hmm. idea and I, I don't want any part of it. Like, right. So I, how do you... And there is a debate about how to debate mm. those with whom we don't agree. So there's a, you bring up a huge debate among Christians is how to enter the dialogue in a truthful, faithful to scripture way. So a debate about how to debate. And so I, we don't have time or space here to settle that, but I do think there are some indications in scripture that Paul, as much as he was able, entered into and adopted the language of, of Mm non-believers in order to reach non-believers. So again, I, I can't settle that debate, but I do. Yeah. I think there is some value in 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 the debate to to meeting them where they're at. Be aware, not just alienating them um, at every turn. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think there, you know, there are Christians that refuse to use the pronouns. Right. Right. They just hold they, it at they, arm's they, length. They won't. Right. They won't enter the debate if they have to use the pronouns because they find the pronouns uh, contrary to the design of God uh, on, and if you're looking at the gender bred person right now, the pronouns they say, they, them are contrary to the, the sexual identity or the sexual makeup. Anyway, it's my head is spinning. I know, I know. And I hate to ask one more question. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think it's important for the question asker, um, what if this person wants to bring a gay friend to Glen Allen Bible Church or they have a, ch- like a high schooler or someone who's struggling with this and they want to bring that person to the youth group here? What type of experience do you think would you say someone who's questioning or struggling with or not struggling with identifies as gay would experience when they came here? In our youth program, I think they'd probably experience um, a lot of patience, a lot of grace. Um, uh, I'm looking over at John for his... I know that there's a a number of students who are wrestling with these issues. So they're talking about it. They're addressing it right. They are at some level. I do think that there are, just like there are adults in all places of life, there are students in all places in different 
that there are probably students who will not treat people well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think the, mm. the whole of the 250 kids mm-hmm. or whatever that we've got coming now are all on the same page and mm-hmm. feeling the same way. There are students who are better at this, will be accepting and loving and caring. In terms of us as a church and our staff, we definitely want to create an atmosphere where, where you can come and explore and learn. And, and I know Mark and, and several of our, of our student ministry workers and volunteers are, are helping kids understand what is, the, what is God's design, who they are in Christ. How do and, we relate to those that disagree with us? Yeah, and, and wrestling through these issues. Yeah. So I, what I want to be careful of is saying, they're going to have a great yeah, experience. Right. I mean, I would, that would be heartbreaking to me to, you know, we, it, I, would it, I want to be honest. Let's be honest. We've already had some LGBTQ youth not have a real good experience. Mm. And it happens. It, and, mm. and it breaks our heart. You yeah. know, student to student and um, some we gotta, being given and received. Yeah. Yeah. And, we got to remember that parents are still the primary faith influencers and behavior influencers and thought influencers in their kid's life. So there are parents who are, who are um, don't, don't have great uh, language around these issues, don't, um, you know, aren't understanding, aren't... Patient. Yeah, and uh, aren't patient, and then they have kids that aren't as well. <laughs> so I, we do have a number of kids. Uh, we, we help as best we can to create an environment where people dealing with all different sins and issues can come and hear what God's truth is, wrestle with leaders who will, will help them navigate and understand what God's truth is and how to apply it to their life. And um, so is that mm-hmm. Let me, um, I'll throw a zinger in. Man, this is the longest question on earth. We're not, <laughs> Sorry. So we've got, we only have nine more. Just kidding. You're the one that brought up God's wrath. Yeah. <laughs> I'll throw a zinger in here. I think it would be easier for the LGBT community to follow the lead of heterosexual evangelicals if we had a better track record on morality. Hmm. Oh, for sure. That's not even a zinger. No, no, I'm getting there. Oh, there's more. There's more. I'm getting there. You mean like, so if our leaders weren't sexually immoral? Yeah. <laughs> that it would be a lot easier for the LGBT community to say, wow, they are a highly disciplined and joy-filled community. <laughs> would, would that that were the report? So let's do, the, let's do the math. On the high side, on the high side, the population of homosexuals in America is 6%. Six. That's the high side. That's a liberal estimate. That's amazing. That means 94% of America is heterosexual. So it's easy to discern that the lion's share of sin and evil in the church is being caused by heterosexual, heterosexually immoral folks. Now, I realize that the LGBTQ issue is the issue du jour, and we have, to, we have to address it. But folks, I'm telling you, the problem in the church is heterosexuality. That's good. The problem in the church is heterosexual immorality. And if and when heterosexual, 
adults would practice and demonstrate a joy-filled discipline, then the LGBT community, I think, will, will say, wow, I see real discipline and real joy. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a convincing, there'll be a convincing in lifestyle that words will never affect. Thanks. Boom. That was, Thanks for tuning in to the next that was podcast. <laughs> you should preach that on Sunday. That was good. That was yeah. so good. Yeah. That gives me that gives me so much hope. All right. Okay. So we're gonna get through Man, these Kelly, next you did few good today. You yeah, got your yeah, yeah, yeah. good job. I'm I was exhausted. regretting that I brought up that up, <laughs> so that up and now I'm like, yes, that was good. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Yeah, no, I'm glad we, went, we, we spent time on the question. Let's move to the next one. All right, here we go. Seems right to hand, highlight the wrath of God as addressed in Exodus and elsewhere. That said, it seems many people associate wrath with God the Father and associate Christ the Son with forgiveness. Isn't it true that Jesus fully reflects the character of the Father? Jesus himself declares their characters are identical. So we can handle this quickly. Yes, Jesus identifies himself with the Father. It's a one-for-one. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. So yes, the Father God and God the Son are one. When he says, I am the way and the truth, what he's saying is, there's nothing in my behavior or person inconsistent with the character and person of God the Father, which is a beautiful reality as we consider that Jesus gave his life in love for us, absorbing the wrath of God. It's a beautiful reality. In the interest of time, anything else to say on this? You, you got it. All right. All right. Next one. In Exodus chapters 33 and 34, God himself presents his character to Moses as merciful and compassionate, slow to anger. Is it fair to say that God's character is primarily merciful and loving and that his wrath is not his primary nature, but a necessary product of his love? No. That is not fair to say. Don't do that. (laughs) Let me warn against this. So let's begin by reading in full the declaration of God's character, which the listener references from Exodus 34. Moses is asked to see God, and then he hears the declaration of his name. And here's the declaration. This is God describing himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34 verses six to seven. So no, we, it is not fair to say we can't separate the character of God into primary and secondary attributes. We do that with humans, and rightly so, because humans are flawed. There are days when I'm primarily loving and only secondarily righteous mm-hmm. or uh, in line with the character of God in my uh, behavior. You follow me? Yeah. But wrath is a necessary corollary to his love, but that's not to say it's secondary. So we we wanna be really careful there because the minute we start the primary secondary thing, we're saying that God can't, in his perfection, hold all of his attributes in tension. It's really hard for us, we're humans. I either opt on being an idiot and I, and I beat people over the head with the Bible or I'm really loving and I'm permissive in sin. We see that all the time. 
But God in his perfection holds those intention. That's why the cross is so beautiful. We see God himself demonstrating love as he doesn't fudge at all on his hate of sin. Christ bleeds. He, he, his blood is let as God the Father pours out his wrath on God the Son, and God the Son in his love takes it, all that wrath on us. So, in fact, we cannot expect real justice if we separate love and wrath. So you would not remove the wrath of God as was satisfied from the hymn? Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. deep the Father's love. I can't remember what church... Uh, yeah. yeah, they didn't like the notion of took wrath. That out. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, it's interesting because I, I was Sunday. I was trying to think of some some songs that celebrate the wrath of God, mm. and in that hymn, the wrath of God is satisfied. Yeah. Praise yeah, the Lord on the cross as Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. Yeah. Is the line? Yeah, that's beautiful. Our only announcement today is the fall gathering coming up on November 21st at 4 o'clock. We'll meet in the worship center and vote on the budget for 2022. If you're a member. We need you to be there. Of course, if you can't be there, you can vote absentee. Ballots will be available in the next few weekends on Sunday mornings at the welcome booth. So you can vote absentee. We'd love to have you there as we talk about the budget, vote on the budget, and get an update, uh, a financial update uh, for the year. So again, that's November 21st, 4 o'clock. Hope to see you there. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. Occasionally, some people attribute natural disasters, viruses, etc., to God's wrath upon a sinful nation. Are those people correct? For example, does God send a hurricane to wipe out New Orleans as a warning for people that live there to turn away from sin? It's interesting. Do y'all remember when the hurricane struck New Orleans and people were saying, it's, a, it's, a, it's God's judgment against a sinful city, but the only part of New Orleans that didn't get flooded was the French Quarter? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a hellhole of wicked behavior. Yeah. The French Quarter, I was there this summer and could not believe what goes on there. So it is not a pretty place. So um, God has certainly sent natural disasters upon nations. That is the entire, I mean, that's the Exodus plagues. It's God dropping these natural disaster bombs on the Egyptians. And we also know that plagues are coming. Natural disasters, so to speak, are coming at the end of time, according to the book of Revelation. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, they're just full of God-moving creation mm -hmm. to, against humanity to express wrath. So God's wrath has and will take the form of nature uh, unleashing hell. So, however, I would be cautious about saying that a particular natural disaster is a result of the hand of God and an outpouring of his wrath. We just don't know the mind of God in that respect. What we do know, what we do know is that when we experience hardship, we're to receive them as discipline from God and let them soften our hearts. So, when we, when we see the hurricane, our hearts are to break for those that are suffering, uh, and then our hearts are to be softened, saying, oh, we need God, and we need to go bear the burdens of those and help those who are, being, um, who are suffering under this, this natural disaster. Uh, but how common is it when people see you know, natural disasters, they get hard in their heart, and they grow resentful. How could God do this to me? Mm -hmm. So I know that the result... Whether or not God is, is sending a particular natural disaster, I know the result, God's longing for us that we'd be soft-hearted, it would bring us to repentance, and we'd grow in our dependence on him. That's good. We're moving too fast, so I'm, 
I'm, I'm shutting down all conversation. Well, I was going to, yeah. Was, Sorry. It's Kelly Brady podcast. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. Do you want to go mix it too? How, how will we know if, when, are there any that you can think of historically that are, but outside the biblical narrative? I, no, I wouldn't do it. Outside the biblical narrative, that's oh, what you're man. pressing me on. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to finish asking that question. It's <laughs> like spit it out. <laughs> she's over there. She's over there ordering shoes. <laughs> Zing. Just kidding. It's very. I was if, tracking with you. Are there any natural? When will? How will we know if something is a natural disaster or something caused by God to discipline, punish us? I, I, gosh, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know that we'll know. I, I, you know, I think we know how we're to respond. We're to endure hardship as if it's discipline from God, Hebrews chapter 12. So we know how we're to respond. And I'm okay if we debate over Yeah, sure. But, man, I just but don't. But we always respond the same. So it, we respond pastorally. It's, it, yes. it's pastoral yeah. theology. When they come in and they say, Does, is God smiting me? Gosh, I don't know, but I know how you're to respond. Is, is that it, is passing it a for wrong, you, Simone? Mm, that was great. Thank you. Is it a wrong <laughs> posture just to be like, why do you, what's the good of talking about if it is or if it isn't? I, don't, I, I, I don't, do think we need to be careful. I mean, Pat Robertson built a whole career on television around calling out this disaster and that disaster. Is, you know, I, right. Like, and I think it just it, it sells advertising. And if we're not careful, it becomes about us gaining audience. That's what I've really wanted to avoid in this Revelation series is saying, you know, do y'all remember when the AIDS epidemic was God's wrath mm. against? Gay people. Yeah. Does that mean that the, that the treatments, the medical treatments for AIDS are now contravening God's desire for people with AIDS to suffer? And should doctors not work on treatments? Mm, are y'all following me there? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. It, well, 9-11 was the, uh, one of the most recent ones was that this was uh, a that uh, this was punishment for our behavior and punishing us as a nation. And I remember there was like, remember like the cloud of smoke mm. that was around the towers and then you could see Satan's face in it. Mm. And that was like this, I'm like, what are we doing? I just always shut down when it comes up. Because in my mind, here. I, go to, like, I go to two paragraphs later where I'm like, this doesn't end in a conclusion. That's <laughs> that, that where we're going to be like, oh, oh yeah. And good. so can we just, I don't right. know, is there a number no, I can call to donate some money? And I'm going to pray. <laughs> right. Like, right. And I'm going to feel horrible for what people are going through, that people's right. lives are lost. Like it, why, what good does it do to sit Agreed. and speculate if it's, you know, I don't know. Yep. Uh, okay. Let's go to the next one. Uh, can you expand upon what you meant when you said that in your sermon that God hates those who cling to their sin? This is sort of, you know, what you didn't read the whole question. He says, thanks. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Did that stick out to y'all? Yes. (laughs) All right. So we, we often fondly draw a distinction between God hating the sin and loving the sinner. And I think that that's a valuable distinction to draw up to a point. I think it is entirely accurate to say that God hates sin and loves the sinner as he sent his one and only son to give his life as a ransom for sinners. He most certainly loves us, and we see in the cross of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, his hate for sin as Jesus suffered. So while it's absolutely appropriate to say that God hates the sin and loves the sinner, we need to be careful about drawing too fine a distinction between sin and sinners. 
Sin does not exist apart from sinners. In other words, to draw too fine a distinction between sin and sinners is to draw a distinction without a difference. And more importantly, it is to draw a distinction that God doesn't draw. So in Psalm 5, verse 5, you hate all who do wrong. It's a psalmist singing a lyric about the character of God and his disposition towards those who do wrong. Psalm 11.5, the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. So now we have God not only hating sin, but with a passion hating those who do violence. Here's what this means. In the end, God does not simply consign sin to hell. It's not simply sin that's sent to hell. Yeah. God consigns sinners to hell. God consigns those who cling to their sin rather than to the Son to hell. And the affirmation of Scripture is to draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. In other words, if you want to be loved by God more than love your sin, then confess and forsake your sin and enjoy the affection of God. So it's true, God hates sin and loves the sinner, but be careful that the conclusion you draw is not ultimately that he, he loves those who cling to their sin mm -hmm. rather than to the Savior. That's a good word. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, we're going to shift gears and go into a question about the new church campus. My question is about the decision-making process around the new church campus. When the elder board moved from dreaming of the possibility of a satellite church to beginning to make a plan, why didn't you all share this with the church family? We would have loved to pray and fast with you on this and hear from God together. Now it feels like the whole process was a guarded secret only revealed when interviewing for staff has begun and a budget needs to be passed. Well, I, I would say it's not too late to pray and fast. Please pray and fast. <laughs> I mean, we need lots of prayer and fasting. Uh, and bear in mind, the, whole, the entire elder board and the staff believe that this is the, the next step for our congregation. So join with us in the effort of praying and fasting as we search for a campus pastor and identify a campus location. So it's, we, yeah. we certainly want your prayer and fasting. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I, I hate the, that person would feel that there's some kind of guarded, you know, secret or something that's going on. Man, that's just not our posture around here at all. Um, and and you know, it, someone's always going to be surprised. A group of you know, the, maybe even the majority are going to be surprised at one level. Oh, I didn't know you, that's what we were doing. You know, man, it's really, really, really difficult to. Um, I think I hear you saying that their surprise doesn't mean it was a secret being kept. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's a that's a good way to good way to say it. I think we don't we don't um, we don't do secrets and all those sorts of things. At the same time, it's very difficult to cultivate a vision of a church of nearly a thousand people. So as so, a collective effort. So there's yeah. some that would feel really great about us going public in a room and saying, we feel like God has just laid this on our hearts. We don't know what it means. Join us mm -hmm. as a church. Let's pray together. Let's fast together and see how this thing uh, moves to the next phase. And there are people in the room who would be terrified mm -hmm. at that experience. Mm -hmm. Wait a second. What it, are you looking for all of us to give our 
input into this? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we have elders mm. and we, we, and staff, and, and we trust that this has gone on and on for years, and you've brought the right people in, and you've, you've brought in some of the congregation through different ways. And, you know, it, so it can, be, it's a, it can be a really difficult uh, process to, like, how do you cultivate vision um, in the church family most effectively most effectively and there's times when some are really on board and others are are not and we we felt like i think i don't want to speak for the elders because i'm not one but i think you know the elders um felt that we are far enough along but yet not too far and that it is a great time to to we're taking our our next step and we want to to unveil what that step's going to be, how we plan to do that. And yet there's a lot that we're still moving in faith and asking the congregation to, to come alongside and pray and be a part. And yeah. I mean, we, we haven't talked about it every Sunday. You've Kelly, you've talked about it at membership meetings quite a bit, and it's not something that we shy have ever shied away from to my knowledge. Right. But I think one of the things that does make it a unique situation uh, for other churches that have started, uh, that have gone multi-site is a lot of times they have to have capital. They do a capital campaign. So there's this big, huge ramp. involvement of, a, of an on-ramp all the way to completion. And so people feel like maybe, but you know, in our case, w- praise God, we didn't, we didn't need that, right? Like, yeah. um, and so yeah, I could see why, you know, if, if maybe someone knows someone who has that experience or has had that experience, maybe it didn't feel as inclusive of a, yeah, that's, you know, I can, I can see that, I guess. I was just going to add what what I thought did not happen yesterday in, in all the communication, the email and the, the video, and then affirmed again last night. It, I am not getting the impression that you all are feeling like this is the next thing that we want to do, so we're asking God to bless it, and would you all join us in that? I'm, I'm hearing consistently that you all are feeling this is where God has called us, and we don't have all the details lined out yet, but we are taking that step of faith. And I, I really noticed that distinction last night and thought, you know, this is, this is, this is why we go to church. Like we want to see (laughs) disciples be made. We want to see the gospel replicate, you know, the, the the message of the gospel replicated as many places as possible. So more and more people come to know Jesus and it feels like, well, you can't grow in this facility. We're a landlock, as you'd said. So I felt really affirmed hearing that. And so I, I can identify a little bit what this person is saying. Like, this is total news to me. I've only been here a couple of years. So it's not total. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. Everything's news to me. But um, I just w- want to affirm you all and what I heard last night. This is not something you're just hoping God blesses. And, you know, you really are feeling this is the next step. And there's a difference mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. That's good. The, um, I, I want to point out, and, I, and it didn't occur to me last night to say this, but the budget portion of this uh, $200,000 next year makes up less than 10% of the overall budget, mm-hmm. which is not to say it's small. We want, we need $200,000. That's, it's not a small amount of money. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I am saying proportionally that I can understand if someone says, I'm not real excited about this. In other words, if your surprise, if your surprise were to become kind of a posture of, um, lacking support or feeling caution or concern and not wanting to be involved. That's okay. Um, there are so many, there are so many good things going on here at the church to be involved in. I think at the care center and forgive me, I don't think we ever ask permission 
on launching the care center. Mm. I, I think we cast the vision, we hired a staff person, we grew it over time, and we budgeted for it. But so in other words, there's lots of there are a lot of great things to be involved in. I'll understand if someone says, even if they say, I don't think it's wise to do multi-campus. Like I get that too. And that's okay. But there are so many, so many good things going on. I would hope that everybody at Glowing Bible Church, in fact, I would say that that is what it means to be at a church. It, it means to find something that you're pumped about, plug in, utilize your gifts in that respect. The notion that a thousand person church would, that all 1,000 people would be excited about everything going on in the church is, is not realistic. I'll be really honest with you. There are things that we do at the church, decisions we make, I'm not excited about. Mm -hmm. But it's not about me. I don't get to, to do or say everything I want at the church. And not everything is done the way or said the way I want it to be. We, we have a thousand individuals here. And so I defer. Well, I, I probably defer to others more than anybody else at the church because of my position. I'm constantly saying, okay, you run with that. And, and I think we need to have that open-handed posture. And I'll, I'll close with this. Remember, every elder, every elder is on board with this. And the staff are excited about it. Which isn't to say we have every question answered. <laughs> <laughs> I think staff and elders are, are also saying, while excited about it, I don't know exactly how this is going to play out. But I, I, would be, I, I think it'd be wise to, to defer to those we've elected and that we're paying to vet and lead. Yeah, it's fair. It's good. All right, last question. What kinds of words are we to avoid quarreling <laughs> over in the following verse? It apparently has dire consequences. Second Timothy 2.14, keep reminding them of these things, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. So this is a... A random question. This is kind <laughs> came of, in midweek. <laughs> it's kind of out of the blue, and so we welcome questions that have to do with the particular sermon or faith more broadly. And so this person's asking about a verse, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, warn them before God against quarreling about words. So Paul is coaching Pastor Timothy. Timothy led a church in Ephesus, and he's coaching them. Hey, don't get sucked into quarreling about words. And the, this listener is saying, what words are we talking about here? And so the words are never specified. <laughs> so the, the takeaway is Paul's actually warning them about a posture more than a particular position. He, I think he's actually telling Pastor Timothy, he don't get sucked into controversies which are so common around words. Um, don't quarrel about them. Don't get sucked in. The real warning is has much to do about how to handle disagreements in the church and how Timothy's posture should be about disagreements. And then Paul, in this very same chapter, uh, it condemns Hymenaeus and, and Philetus who depart from the truth and, and they have a particular doctrinal position saying that the resurrection had already taken place. So what he's saying is, hey, Pastor Timothy here, uh, you 
should avoid quarreling, getting sucked into quarrels that don't uh, advance the gospel, and your church should, should submit to you in a way, uh, to those who are appointed to lead and care for souls in a way that protect them from what Hymenaeus and, and I forget the guy's name, I think I, Philetus or something like that, they get, they have departed from the truth, don't be like them. And so follow your leaders closely. Don't get sucked into quarrels. That's the posture here. In, in, order, in other words, cling uh, to the teaching that was handed down to you. And in the same passage, he says, rightly handling the word of God. And gosh knows there's a lot of debate in our modern culture um, that is not producing godliness that we're not striking a posture that's honoring to one another as we debate. And he's not condemning all debate. He's condemning quarrels. And quarrels are really common in the, in the church. It's good. I love that somebody is reading God's word and wrestling with it and yeah. <laughs> texting a question. Yeah. I'd welcome more of that. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> we're done. <laughs> That's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for us getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us listeners. Thanks for tuning in on the next level. Boom. Prophecy.